Welcome everybody to Community Roots, a place where we gather in community to talk about mental health so we can travel the journey of life together. I'm Julie Richards, and today we are off the beaten path with Dr. Jamie Marich and Steve Danziger. Welcome to you both. Thank you, Julie. Thanks, Julie. Thanks for having us. So glad to have you here. These these are colleagues of mine from the Institute of Creative Mindfulness, which is a, a feeling of home for me, of, of great support in my own training. And we had Jamie on for our listeners um, on Off the Beaten Path years ago. And so welcome back to you. Glad to be back, because I remember the first time I was here, it was to talk about the re-release of Trauma and the 12 Steps, because trauma-informing 12-step work has been a big part of my career and my recovery life. And yeah, we're talking about a related project today, so it's kind of a cool thing. Yes, I love that. And this new release that is coming out later in August is Trauma and the 12 Steps the workbook exercises and meditations for addiction trauma recovery and working the 12 steps so the two of you have collaborated though before we get into that one i would like to just say you've collaborated on numerous projects we what have. has that been like together in co-authoring and learning the the dance of writing together and i'm just well I want Steve to tell the story first, because the whole reason we even got together to do become friends and do these professional collaborations was because of the first trauma in the 12 steps in 2012. Okay. So Steve, tell us about how that all came about. With Where you did and this all start? Yeah. Yeah. So I was doing what we do. I was looking for some trauma resources on the interwebs and up came trauma in the 12 steps by some Jamie Marich character. And I was like, first of all, I was just like, oh, my God, this is the most necessary book title that I've seen in forever. And then I was like, I must find her. And so <laughs> um, the word we used to use for it is we, I stalked her. It wasn't but it wasn't as all unfriendly as that. It was much more, you know, like, I must know you. Oh, my gosh, you're all the way in Ohio. Can you fly out to Los Angeles and work with some of the folks that work at the treatment center that I work at? on this mm. trauma, the 12 steps thing. And she did. And we've, you know, we've kind of been, if not joined at the hip, we've been at least, you know, attaching our hips, um, you know, at re with regularity. Yes. Um, Cause yeah. I remember getting that first email and just had a, had a good vibe about it because I was hoping when I put the first trauma and the 12 steps into the world that people, especially in recovery who got trauma would have that kind of reaction. Like, yes, we we've needed this blending. And then mm. I remember when I first walked into that treatment center, I met Steve and I knew we were going to be friends forever. It just was that kind of friendship connection. And then from there, Steve, I'm trying to think of the order of how things happened here after a few years of collegial interactions and realizing Steve was also an EMDR therapist who wanted to be an EMDR trainer. Steve was one of the original trainers to join me when I formed Institute for Creative Mindfulness, and he started teaching the curriculum out on the West Coast. And then after that, we did EMDR and mindfulness together, healing addiction with EMDR. We did the first version of this workbook and then also a meditation reader in, in 2020. So yeah, we've, we've done a lot together. Am I missing anything, Steve? No, and the thing that's really cool, you know, in terms of what you asked uh, as well, Julie, is like 
from the very beginning, this is the way I remember it, Jamie, is like, all right, how are we going to write together? And we were both kind of like, this this should work, could work, don't know, going to be exciting. And we came up with a formula that we haven't really moved from that has mm. really worked. It's kind of, what we call it, even though it's not technically call and response, but it's like mm -hmm. a call and response. And we yeah. just kind of split up the work and then you know, let each other, you know, kind of pour over each other's chapters and it just moves seamlessly. Right. Nice. Yeah. So Steve and I are both rock stars as well. Steve's more of an actual rock star. He was quite a successful is, I think he's still a successful punk musician. And I did the singer songwriter thing for a lot of years and still dabble in music. And I think we've brought in some of that musical expressive arts work into how we do some of our riffing and brainstorming at first. And then like Steve said, we have this call and response type of flow we get into when we write. And the thing with me, especially because I love writing, I love writing books, is I only really work with collaborators if I truly feel I'm going to write a better book because their voice is there with me. And everything I've written with Steve, I couldn't have imagined, you know, not having written it with Steve. And of course, you know, the original Trauma and the 12 Steps was, was a solo book, yet when I went to do these ancillary projects, the meditation reader and the workbook, which is now in its revised edition, I just wanted Steve's it's it, to me, like the more recovery knowledge, the better. Mm. And Steve's also a person in long-term recovery has a couple different angles of looking at things, certainly different stories. Uh, some of which you see in the workbook yet we both have this foundation of the necessity of bringing in mindfulness and trauma-informed ethics into how you mm -hmm. work a 12-step recovery program. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if we could even start there with like for our listeners, what is recovery and not just from the standpoint of even addiction, but maybe beyond for those who are recovering from perfectionism, from codependency, from, like it's, it can be very broad of just like, how do I live a healthy life? How do I be a healthy human? How do I show up in the world is relevant to everyone from my perspective. Um, could we speak to any of like recovery as a lens for our own health and development and growth and being on the planet? One of the things that drew me to Jamie and her work, and then just collegially and, you know, in a friendly way, uh, was this idea of looking at things on a continuum. And so recovery is self-defined and the need for recovery, quote unquote, is self-defined. And anyone, anywhere with any sort of difficulty can uh, look into the problem that they're that they're facing and then trace what the roots are back you know that's a, you know very 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 uh, simple explanation almost of, of trauma work right it's not all about big t trauma it's not all about like the worst thing that ever happened to me it's about all the things that have happened to me over time that have informed the way that i feel and and behave right now so from for me recovery is this you know that that's the starting point right where i have an awareness that i can make that journey and start a journey forward with that information being reprocessed as we say around the emdr way and be able to live a, a life that i imagine you know the life that i imagine i would like to live 
you know, mm-hmm. so, so that, like you said, Julia, that, that can look so many different ways for so many different mm-hmm. people facing so many different dilemmas. So, mm-hmm. And one thing that I've personally appreciated in my own journey and around recovery communities is there's a sense of shared humanity and vulnerability that they can be, and they, including myself, um, but can be the most authentic human beings that are, they've lived real life and, and that there's something in that that invites us into the process of discovering like what's our own story and like you said Steve the the history but then also where am I from here forward and so I just invite our listeners to kind of widen your scope a little bit if if recovery language isn't automatically something that resonates Mm -hmm. but to consider like how is this just leaning into my becoming and my development and my growth and because it it is an invitation and welcoming to all people. And, and I think that's beautiful in that. And then the blending that the two of you have done with taking 12 step work and recovery work and understanding it from the lens of trauma and that historically 12 step work is sometimes something that resonates well with people and other times feels limiting or potentially damaging or its own source of, um, its own history that it has. Oh, I don't sure. know if you want to speak to any of that. I often describe myself as I'm somebody who's both the biggest critic of 12-step recovery, and I still love 12-step recovery for what it has brought me in my own journey, for what I think it can still do for people. Years ago, when the first book came out, somebody asked me, what was your motivation for doing this? And other than, oh, I wanted to write a book and I thought it was a good idea. I hadn't really thought about it. And when I reflected, I want everybody who comes into a 12-step space, whether that be a meeting in the community, a treatment center that has a 12-step orientation, I would love everybody to have an experience like I had with my first sponsor, Janet, because she was trauma-informed before I knew what that even was trauma-informed. She was also a social worker by background before the concept was even cool clinically. She lived this idea of attraction rather than promotion, didn't try to force anything on me, rolled with my resistances, yet brought me the program in such a practical way where she encouraged modification. And for me, that is a hallmark of trauma-informing anything. Can you meet people Mm -hmm. where they're at? Can you allow them to modify language? So yeah, in the main term, the 12 steps, I fully acknowledge that 12 steps and 12 step cultures and uh, can be a source of trauma for a lot of people, for sure. And I think it's important that those of us who advocate or still are part of 12 step programs have an open, healthy dialogue about those kind of issues. Yet, as I've been doing this work now for over a decade, I'm still convinced that for me, the steps themselves have never been an issue. I think for most people, if you really get into the steps and you let yourself change around some language that doesn't work for you, the steps are, if you want to think of it this way, God-given. I I take no issue with the steps. Uh, I want to be respectful that some people may take issue, and that's the, why there are other recovery paths out there. But there's just so much garbage that has kind of formed in meetings and in treatment centers that I think we've had to have honest discussions about. Mm -hmm. 
And I think what you're saying about language being so important, it's so interesting how some words or phrases for some people has a connotation that's very life-giving and supportive and helpful. And then for other people, those same words are landing in a way that is causing harm. And so it's hard to know sometimes how to speak to some of this in ways that we are promoting healing and not damaging. And I think the only way we find out is asking who we're sitting with. I don't know if either of you have ideas on that, but like just finding out the meaning it has for who you are with. Yeah, that's, I mean, the key is what we're trying to do. What I think people who are trying to work this way, and I, and I don't just mean professionals. I mean, just any of us in recovery or seeking out recovery is opening doors. Like, how do I open a door and, and welcome someone in and not tell them, right up front and here is the list of rules that you must follow in order to be part of this club i you know that you're entering as opposed to that having it be this um you know opening the door and showing you know the language in the in the program is this kit of spiritual tools it's the kit of spiritual tools is so wide, so vast, and much of it is not spiritual at all. If you if you don't like use that language, and so how can we provide that space? Because I think the trauma of that Jamie is speaking of uh, in in twelve step communities that's available has to do with a combination of either closing doors or opening doors and starting to like you know tell people what they have to do. And not, none of it's done, it's usually not done in a nefarious fashion. It's not like this, you know, I'm going to try and hurt people now that I'm in this program. It's they, it, people mean well, but, you know, the, the original uh, program, as it were, uh, suffers from, it was channeled through a couple of guys in the 1930s. And I'm really glad they took the channeling and, and ran with it. But at the same time, you know, the world marches on and, and we have to, you know, help people who can't relate to, uh, you know, two guys from uh, Vermont and Ohio in the 1930s, mm. you know, and, and sort of the, the, you know, the Oxford groups and, and where the, the program came from, um, you know, the, the, the more restrictive parts of that. So it's really reducing the restrictions and the barriers is is the key. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm curious for both of you, what in your own, to the extent that you feel comfortable sharing, what has been the most impactful in your own recoveries? What has supported that journey the most for you? Yeah, I'm trying to think if the, it's not just one thing. I, I can say that it's mm -hmm. been a true combination of factors. I've already shared one of them, which was having somebody pretty amazing share the program with me, who was not only the first to validate my alcoholism and addiction and explain it in terms that really made sense. Uh, she was the first to validate that I had unhealed trauma. And prior to that experience, I had only heard of trauma in the scope of post-traumatic stress disorder, and that was something veterans suffered. It wasn't anything that affected the rest of us. And she really helped me to expand my worldview as somebody who was coming out of a hyper-religious upbringing and 
all this world around mental health and recovery was still kind of somehow taboo based on how I was raised. So yeah, it's been a combination of factors, having Janet, having other support that I've met through meetings over the years, people who have survived similar shipwrecks and we can commiserate with each other. My best friend in the world is also a person in recovery. So we have daily check-ins and then having done trauma therapy, uh, which was a very necessary adjunct for me uh, a couple years into my sobriety journey. So those are, I guess those are kind of my top three. Steve, I'm curious to hear yours. Yeah, they're, they're similar. So I'm, I, I'm sober 34 years now, which my old sponsor used to say, that's a long time between cocktails. And <laughs> in, that, in that space of time, in the very beginning, it was the people, people, people. You know, it was the, I was isolated. I was lonely. I wasn't completely alone. There were people around. I had a girlfriend. I had some friends. I had some colleagues in the music world but I couldn't hear them or see them or feel them. All I could hear in my head was, I can't stop my addiction and I don't know what to do. And so I arrived in a 12 step room. And by the way, you know, I went off on that whole thing about the restrictive and this and that. I mean, I'm just, I love 12 step programs. And I walked into my first meeting and I, I saw a whole bunch of people that a number of them I recognized and I was wondering why they hadn't been occupying their particular bar stool for a long time. And so I saw these folks that I could identify with at a very foundational level who I even spent time with at the bar or elsewhere. And I was like, oh, okay, what are we doing here? <laughs> and we were doing recovery. And then I found out the elements of recovery and they sounded pretty weird com compared to what I was looking at, which was a room full of people in black leather jackets who were in punk bands. But they were, you know, talking about spirituality and not drinking a day at a time and all this kind of stuff. And so it was that. It was that connection. And then it was, for me, it was this, um, uh, you know, I don't, I can't attribute it to anything other than I was kind of desperate, was um, a willingness to do the thing. And so I just marched around New York City. I went to like 360 meetings in 90 days. You know, I, I. I never stopped going to meetings daily for years and years and years because I loved it. It was the people. And then through that, I got the, you know, the impact of the steps and the other tools of the program. So it was the people and then the tools. And then it was the consistency. That was the other thing was by virtue of my showing up all the time and then and, and the 12 steps being like a structure that is structured but not rigid. You know, that's my estimation of it. Um, that gave me the ability to have a daily practice, right? Like that I could show up somewhere and do a thing that was dedicated to my well-being. Mm -hmm. no, matter, no matter how I felt at the time. If I was having a good day, it helped me with my well-being. If I was having a terrible day, it helped me with my well-being. So Nice. I love that the the trauma and the 12 steps the books that you both have put together there's the the text of it and then there's the daily meditation reader which i did for a year and loved like Aww. just the, wrote all in it underlined it every day that was my ritual of just like i love the format of it so i want to make sure that our listeners know that that's out there because it was it was that daily, this is an offering mm -hmm. at the start of my day. And 
it was just there for me every day. So it was like, okay, how is this affecting me? And I'd be writing in the margins and underlining and making connections and things like that. And I loved that every day it was consistently there. And so I, I thought that was fabulous. I loved it. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about that because I have used daily meditation readers for throughout my recovery longer than I've been sober. The first year when I was kind of messing around and wasn't sober yet, I was still using the daily meditation reader. And as I share in the preface to that book, and I think it's even in Main Trauma on the 12 Steps, speaking to Steve's thing as well about consistency, I 100% agree that whatever you can commit to consistently on a day-to-day -day basis is going to help start healing the brain and putting you in, in right direction. So Janet, who I've already mentioned, gave me in September of, of 2001, this was a few days after 9-11 actually, she gave me the um, Hazelden 24 hours a day meditation book, which she said this was the first recovery reader of its kind, like chicken soup from the soul, rip this off. And this is the, <laughs> this is the OG meditation book. And uh, yeah, she said, gave it to me and had suggested that as part of this trying to get sober thing I was doing, I made an effort to pray every morning because I had never stopped believing in God. And I, I believed God could help me get sober. But why did it have to be at seven in the morning? Why did it have to be so <laughs> early? Because usually at the time I had to report to work at 10. And I said, if um, I'm lucky, if I roll out of bed, take a shower, maybe Oh, no, I could go I go to the bathroom every morning, maybe take a shower. And she said, why don't you put this meditation book on your toilet seat? Because if you know you definitely use the toilet every morning, maybe you will pick it up and read it while you're sitting there. And she's like, try it for like a month and see what happens. It's 22 years later and I still have to have some kind of meditation reader that I read from every morning. It just starts the day off right. And it helped me to then develop a little more extensive of a morning prayer and meditation routine. So based on this love I've long had for meditation readers, when the new edition of Trauma and the 12 Steps was being worked on, I really, really wanted to do a meditation book along with it, a daily mm -hmm. meditation based on these principles. And Steve, obviously having a vast recovery experience and a meditation practice. I just felt like I wanted to have him along because we would write a richer book because writing 366 meditations takes a lot. I mean, I think it came mm -hmm. naturally for both of us. And it's just one thing I think we're happy to have out there. I absolutely loved it. And it is the bringing of mindfulness, meditation, daily ritual and practices. The rhythm of that is so regulating to our brain and our growth and in small doses that to me resonates so deep because I've got, I'm surrounded by books all the time of everything I wish I could read and get to and can't quite get to as, as quickly or as thoroughly as what I would want. But something like that, that's literally a few paragraphs a day. It's like, I can do this. This is possible. And so it it's, and there's in a sense too of an accompaniment, right? Because just knowing that the two of you have put that together and, and that's part of your story and your journey kind of almost, you imagine like a pilgrimage or an accompaniment of I'm not alone. There's other people that are doing this very thing of healing and growth. And there's beauty in that. I think less isolation. I think you spoke to that a little bit, Steve, too. 
um, just we need each other and it's such a great tool. But then you also have, now I wanna make sure we get to this updated workbook coming out. So um, tell us more about that and what your favorite parts are about it. Yeah, so the workbook idea was put in my head by Anna David, who's a common friend of ours. She's the author of Party Girl, which is a well-known novel and also a recovery media personality. And after learning of what we're doing with Trauma and the 12 Steps years ago, she said, I would love a workbook on how to either work trauma with the 12 Steps or how to work the 12 Steps, especially if you're on a repeat journey through them, maybe taking trauma a little more into account. And I'm like, thank you for the idea. <laughs> and so Steve and I put the original version of it together in 2020. And in this updated version, which North Atlantic has, has picked up, Anna wrote the forward, which is really nice. another kind of full circle experience. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's this idea that in recovery circles, you hear this phrase all the time, working the steps. And even my clients and people I know in the rooms will often ask, you know, how exactly do I work a step? And a lot of the instruction provided, at least in the AA big book, <laughs> it could be either very arcane and old or very unspecific on exactly how you work a step. And so I am inspired by the advice of one of my early recovery mothers who said, first time you work through the steps, you work them as best as you can. And they're not really meant to be worked through just once. There, there could be repeat journeys that you take through. So we've really tried to give people exercises and questions and prompts that meets them on whatever run through the steps they're at. Yeah, and in, uh, in keeping with your thought, uh, Julie, about small doses, that's like my, that's a mantra for me. And, and I had the same history as Jamie with meditation books. You know, I, I got handed the 24 hour book and then I was introduced uh, to Touchstones, the men's meditation book from Hazelden. And I was, you know, given all these tools by my two sponsors and Jamie knows this. And I had two sponsors in the beginning cause I was twice as messed up as anyone else. And both of these sponsors, were at, uh, you know, sort of the same on the same page and on a different page, and they each gave me different tools. But Randy, you know, um, was the one who introduced me to this idea of small dose spirituality, as it were. He said, just read the meditation book. And then the other thing was, is I was asking Randy in the beginning, what was the other program other than this whole spiritual game? You know, because he didn't seem like a spiritual dude to me. He was you know, black leather jacket, guitarist and punk band, et cetera, with a deep Bronx accent. And I asked him what the other program was. And he said, what are you talking about? I pray every day. And so he gave me the third step prayer and the seventh step prayer from, you know, from recovery circles. And I have prayed those two little prayers for 34 years on a daily basis, you know, and then everything else has been, you know, added and subtracted as I've gone. And in the end, you know, the step book is the same as the meditation book in that it's trying to take some of the mystery out of the step work. You know, what does it mean to work a step? And it's also trying to not make it into some big overwhelming project, you know, which mm -hmm. it can really seem. So again, it's another sort of opening of a door and here's like three, four different ways to kind of look at the step and work with the step. And, you know, you could be finished with it quickly or slowly, you know? Um, as opposed to, you know, getting perhaps, you know, uh, possibly bogged down 
in things. So, and I love the meditations that you have throughout it. You know, as far as grounding exercises, loving kindness, um, mindfulness of the body, all of those I think are adding a layer to the original program of twelve steps and working the steps and like making it accessible with meditation and mindfulness. And I felt very strongly about that really throughout the trauma, the 12 step work because so many struggles I've seen people have with working fourth and fifth steps, especially, which are the inventory steps that can be nearly impossible for people who are still very trauma raw, very activated. And I'm not about, well, then just skip the fourth and fifth step because I think they're very useful. It's very useful to be able to, to put things into proper perspective. It's sending people into doing these steps without skills to regulate their body mind complex. That concerns me. And this is where mindfulness can really provide a, a marvelous adjunct. Steve could probably speak more to that as the Zen specialist here. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny cause it just made me think of the, um, uh, the article that was in a, a it's no longer there, uh, a, uh, an online recovery magazine uh, called thefix.com. And it was, the story was Buddha and Bill W, right? And it was looking at all the connections that uh, were there between uh, mindfulness, Buddhism, and, and the 12 steps. And they found in their research, the writer found a pamphlet from the 1940s early Akron group edited by Dr. Bob, who was not the experimental one, right? Bill was the one who's like, let's look at all the spiritual traditions and let's have a seance and maybe even try some acid. Dr. Bob was very simple in his spirituality. Like he found religion essentially. And he edited this pamphlet and in it, it said, the closest thing we have found to our 12 steps in the spirituality of the many millennia is the eight part program of the Buddha, right? And what he's pointing out in that is what Jamie was just talking about, which is, you know, there's the, the generosity and the kindness and all that, but then there's also the sort of awareness of our being like this body in space that needs to be taken care of in order to do this work of getting in touch with each other and ourselves using our, our minds, you know, which has been, you know, so difficult for so long you know, when you're someone who's, you know, suffering. But anyway, you know, just the, the fact that um, it was sort of almost endorsed in, in, in the 1940s <laughs> um, as an approach, you know, to add, right? And, and that's another thing that Jamie and I abide by in everything that we do is this approach of both and. It's not either or, you know, that, you know, there's something to be said for going to the spiritual smorgasbord going to the psychological smorgasbord. And then uh, one, one teacher uh, that I know of um, said, go to the spiritual smorgasbord for six months, then choose one thing and try that for two years. And I find that to be, you know, helpful suggestion too. I just like smorgasbord. Ah, got it. Oh no, that happens. <laughs> I'm more, just more, thinking, yeah. I'm just thinking I like smorgasbords. Oh, smorgasbords, the best. <laughs> that That's, that's very, very defining. That was Stephen Levine, by the way. 
All right. It makes. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. In his book, Gradual Awakening. I personally like smorgasbords. Like Steve was mentioning that as a metaphor because I don't know, having been raised in a religious context that was so rigid, that was so, this is the right way and don't deviate, that never felt good to me inside even as as a kid but i was going along with it because that's what i was supposed to do and then when i went to my initial college experience and started meeting people in their traditions and exploring other faith traditions i started to see so many common threads yet this wonder that there are so many different beautiful ways to get there and certain things have been very nourishing for me during various times in my life that later evolve into something else or fall by the wayside yet i always know where to where to go back to the that buffet if you will and so nice that that allows for our unique what interests us and how even it can vary season to season day to day <laughs> there are times that we have to be in tune with what's really helping and supporting us and what to lean into, when to step back from, and things like yep. that. Well, how we end our episodes is with a gratitude or an affirmation or a mantra. So if you have anything that kind of spontaneously is surfacing for you as we share this time together and bring it to a close, what might you want to... <sighs> taking a gratitude this week because this is such an important recovery practice uh, that I learned from Janet that even on the worst days of your week find some things you're grateful for and it could be as simple as I'm grateful that I live in a house with running water today and I have toilet paper to access and I have food to eat uh, this week I'm very grateful for the medical care I received after a medical emergency. And I know that's a privilege not everybody has in this world. So thank you for asking gratitude and tapping me back into that original practice. Yeah, I'm grateful for so many things that they're banging into each other right now. But um, if I could pick uh, one out for the moment, I would say I recently had this experience, a very, you know, as you go along, you have days that are just days. And then you have these days where like profundity hits you. And I had one of those days about three weeks ago, and I've been integrating it ever since. And to very simply put, it was a very deep experience of this thing that a lot of us say all the time, what it means to be in the moment. And this experience came was forged not just out of you know me hanging out with puppies and unicorns and then finally reaching peak puppy and unicorn it was forged out of some really serious challenges over the last couple of years and so my gratitude is for whatever it is that i've been granted in the way of patience and persistence and willingness to walk through you know any fires that need to be walked through in order to learn the lessons that have me kind of wake up a little bit more. And, you know, and just to say that I feel like that's available to everyone. I hope your listeners kind of can 
can feel that, you know, from, um, from our conversation or from whatever other uh, uh, thing they reach out for, you know, today and over the next, you know, few days. So yeah, anyway, that's awesome. Gratitude, gratitude for that. Yeah. And I think of just the little by little as a mantra of, I hope there are little nuggets in our episode today that have been an encouragement. They certainly have been to me. I love being with the two of you and just having that sense of this work that we're privileged to do and willing to do and that we're not alone and that to have a glimpse of your hearts in your writing that you're, you know, vulnerably putting out in the world and helping so many along the way. Thank you for what you are doing. And um, we'll definitely have in the show notes, if you can get us where to find you and any links for our listeners, we'll be posting those and looking forward to a day that we can gather again. Thank you so much for being with us. Oh, it's my great pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. Thanks, Julie. So nice to meet you. Yes, you as well. 